Welcome to the Policy Leadership Series podcast from Resources for the Future. In every episode, leading global decision makers speak to RFF President and CEO Richard Newell about big environmental and energy policy issues. In this episode, Richard speaks to Michael Regan, the 16th Administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Their conversation took place on August 30th. Administrator Regan, welcome again, and thanks so much for joining us for this Policy Leadership Series event. Well, Richard, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and uh, looking forward to this conversation. I'd like to start by uh, discussing your, your path to the US EPA. Could you tell us a bit about the personal experiences and background that helped to set you on this path in pursuit of environmental causes and public service and, and how that may influence your, your goals at EPA? Well, you know, I grew up in Eastern North Carolina, uh, hunting and fishing uh, and developing an appreciation for the outdoors with my father and grandfather. And spending that quality time with them really meant a lot to me. Um, you know, it was really great to be outdoors and just exploring nature. And, you know, growing up, I did have respiratory illnesses that were exacerbated by pollution. And so at any given moment, if there were a high ozone action day or lots of pollution, obviously that meant I could not be outside experiencing sort of that personal time with my family. And so from a very early age, I knew and began to understand the connection between our natural resources and pollution and public health, and have always sort of focused on that. I also grew up in Eastern North Carolina, which was an ag community, uh, an ag community very close to environment and natural resources. So, you know, it was really natural for me to gravitate towards uh, towards environmental science and 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 uh, natural resources. I, uh, you know, got my BS degree at North Carolina uh, Agricultural and Technical State University. And the first internship after college was uh, with the United States Environmental Protection Agency in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. So things kind of flowed, flowed very well. And, and I have to say my parents were both public servants. So public service was part of my upbringing and it all just kind of came together. Yeah, well, we share that in common. I spent uh, uh, 11 years uh, down in North Carolina, the Triangle area. So uh, a be- really beautiful state. You've made uh, environmental justice a major priority for EPA. And and so could you give us some key examples of how that priority is playing out across the various facets uh, of EPA's mission and actions? Well, you know, I have to say I was so excited that the president made racial justice and equity and environmental justice such a centerpiece of the administration. You know, far too many Black and Latinx and indigenous uh, and low-income uh, communities bear the highest burden of pollution. And at the same time, we all know that they tend to suffer first and suffer worse from extreme heat and rising seas and raging wildfires, storms, flood and pollution in general. So we're seeing the consequences of decades of disinvestment in Americans' uh, physical and care infrastructure. And unfortunately, that burden has fallen mostly to communities of color. We saw that with COVID-19 which magnified the daily injustices facing these communities. So when the president took office, he signed a slate executive orders that would marshal the full force of the federal government behind advancing environmental justice and and racial equity. And, you know, I'm really just excited that we have a president that really understands it, has embraced it, and it's allowed EPA to really move forward very aggressively. 
Uh, take one example, lead in drinking water. Uh, right now in the United States, uh, EPA estimates that between 6 and 10 million homes in the United States have lead service lines. And we know that the impact of lead exposure is detrimental, especially to our children. Uh, we also know that uh, communities of color are disproportionately impacted by the irreversible and lifelong health effects of, of lead poisoning. And so that's a really good example of how this administration and EPA have hit the ground running. I've been on the ground in Flint, Michigan, Chicago, St. Louis, Baltimore, Milwaukee, Detroit, and I've learned so much about what these communities are struggling with, whether it be lead in drinking water or the disproportionate impact of pollution on air quality and just quality of life. So it's been really exciting to join an agency that has a rich history in focusing on environmental justice. And we're marrying that with the president's goals uh, for racial equity and highlighting environmental justice. And the last thing I'll say is uh, it's gone well beyond rhetoric. When we look at the president's leadership with the bipartisan infrastructure deal, which includes about $55 billion uh, in that deal to accelerate water infrastructure improvements, uh, we're looking at real resources being matched with some of the problems that we've seen over the past few decades. The president also has the Justice 40 initiative, which aims to devote 40% of all benefits, whether it's the $55 billion from the Build Back Better plan or just the investments coming from the federal government. 40% of those resources will stay in these communities focused on cleanup, education, and economic development. So EPA is in lockstep with this administration, and we're just excited about the future of environmental justice and equity. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, incredibly important issue and, and one that um, as uh, economists and analysts uh, at Resource Future, we've been, we've been very focused on uh, because one of the things that we're finding is you know, having the information uh, available and, and also the, the analytic methods that we need in order to understand the impacts on specific communities, not only of kind of the, the current environment, but also the, the consequences of the actions that, that might be taken uh, in future policy. Uh, so really, really important area, fully agree. Uh, I wanna turn um, to climate and to uh, uh, regulation of greenhouse gas emissions under the Clean Air Act. Um, you know, this continues to be an important tool uh, in the set of different emission reduction uh, policies. Um, you know, we're familiar with the different actions that are taken with regard to, you know, tailpipe standards for, uh, for automobiles. Um, but I want to uh, talk a little bit perhaps about power sector emissions and, and ask um, your views on how the agency is currently thinking about regulating uh, power sector emissions under the Clean Air Act, you know, given the ongoing debates about the limits of EPA authority and also the experience with the, you know, the ACE rule and the, the Clean Power Plan rules in the past. Well, you know, the, the power sector, uh, rightfully so, is, is a very important sector. Uh, we've, we've really focused on HFCs and transportation. Uh, next month, we're going to focus on the oil and gas industry and really look for deep cuts in emissions of methane. Uh, but the power sector is also equally important to all of those that I just mentioned. And uh, EPA is obligated under the Clean Air Act to put in place emission guidelines for CO2 pollution from existing power plants, especially in the wake of the D.C. Circuit's January decision vacating the previous administration's ACE rule. And in my confirmation hearing, 
I committed to taking a fresh look at this issue specifically, building on the lessons of prior efforts in this area and informed by engagement with a broad range of stakeholders. You know, we learned a lot from the Clean Power Plan uh, and we saw what didn't work with the ACE rule. So right now, we're working with EPA staff to determine what those specific next steps are. And I want to emphasize that the next steps that we take will be informed by prior experiences, but it will be guided by science, guided by the law, and guided by our Clean Air Act obligations with, with the goal of making climate progress, protecting public health, and advancing environmental justice uh, while also preserving affordable and reliable electricity. Uh, so we're going to be very, very focused on this particular industry. Luckily, we're seeing the markets push uh, for cleaner energy. There are plentiful technologies, new advanced technologies that we can be thoughtful about. And I feel really good that as we look at both regulating traditional air pollutants and carbon from the power sector, that we're going to design a roadmap that will engage stakeholders and really get those reductions that we're all looking for. It seems that there's also some really important points of connection with the infrastructure bill that's pending and also with, uh, you know, I guess we'll still need to see the text, but with the uh, reconciliation, which, you know, uh, it appears it will have, you know, major potential investments in the power sector. So um, I, I assume that there'll be there's connectivity in terms of uh, what one can do on the regulatory front and the kind of incentives and investments that are being made on the budget front. Absolutely. Uh, there's a direct tie there. And this is part of the brilliance of the president's whole of government approach. And so to your point, we know that, especially as we look at climate change, we just can't regulate our way out of it. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time with our sister agencies, especially the Department of Energy and Commerce, by the way, to take a look at what economic incentives do we have out there? What are the investments we're making in various technologies and how our regulations complement all of these investments? And also at EPA, I'm taking a look at what existing regulations that we can tie to those air quality regulations, like effluent guidelines, looking at water quality implications and our CCR rule that looks at the cleanup of coal ash. All of these bring economic pressures to bear, but also take a look at what technologies are available and economic incentives to drive towards a cleaner future. What about industrial sector emissions? Any developments on that from EPA? We're having a, a sort of a, an all of the above approach. Uh, we are looking at industrial sector emissions. Uh, and, and the good news here is we're taking these, uh, you know, one bite at a time, but looking at the cumulative aspect of our rulemaking authority and also looking at sort of the social cost of carbon and these pollutants, thinking about the technologies that are available and that can cut across sectors, and then looking at all of our regulatory authority in both the traditional sense and the non-traditional sense. I believe we're on the cusp of, of the ability to get very significant air quality and climate reductions because people are more educated, uh, there's more science, we understand the economics around it. And, and by the way, the markets and technologies are calling for more climate and air quality pollution reduction. And so this agency is definitely in a multimedia, uh, multi-operative role and, and we're proud to be here and we've got a president that supports it. And to your earlier point, 
Uh, he's going after a budget and he's going after a bipartisan infrastructure deal that will complement all of these regulatory opportunities. Each episode of RFS Policy Leadership Series podcast is made possible by listeners like you. This series provides thoughtful conversations with leading experts to better connect and inform our community on the latest environmental and economics issues. And you can help us by supporting RFF. You join us in our mission to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economics research and policy engagement. Learn more about contributing to RFF today by visiting rff.org support. I want to turn a little bit to economic analysis, and you mentioned uh, uh, you know, the, the, the social cost of carbon and other ways in which you know, economic metrics and incentives uh, enter into um, environmental progress. Maybe could you say a bit about um, how you view the role of economic analysis in informing environmental regulation and policy? You know, it's so important. Sound science and economics are critical for the design of strong and sensible public health and environmental standards. One of the great achievements of environmental science and economics is that instead of being an obstacle to regulation, we now use benefit cost analysis to support smart regulations that promise enormous returns on society's investments in a cleaner environment. And as we can see from the accelerating and worsening impacts of climate change, ranging from wildfires out west to the Category 4 storms in the Gulf Coast, there's tremendous cost to inaction that has often been missed in assessing the benefits of controlling harmful emissions. So, you know, the resource for futures cutting edge resource has been pivotal to EPA's ability to quantify and value the benefits of our regulations. Uh, On day one, President Biden reaffirmed the basic principle that robust economic analysis can and should help advance regulatory policies that improve the lives of the American people. So we must ensure that our economic analysis fully accounts for benefits, including those that are uncertain or or difficult to quantify. Uh, And and so this is really important. You've asked a very important question, and it's an area we're working to improve on capturing the benefits of policies and programs that reduce all pollutants, but especially greenhouse gas emissions. And there's... uh... I don't know whether you um, whether this has come up ex- explicitly, but there's also an important. I kind of alluded to this earlier. The the uh, the nexus between um, economic analysis and benefit cost analysis and environmental justice and kind of analysis that gets more granular in understanding the the benefits and costs of different approaches on particular communities. Um, an area of uh, very important work. I don't know if if that's uh, come up explicitly. Also, the, you know, the environmental justice forty initiative and the um, EJ screening tools. These are all tools that you know that we have to um, uh, you know to incorporate more attention to the distributional effects of different actions on particular communities. You know that's absolutely right. And you know when the previous administration built on the social cost of carbon and looking at basic economic analysis, you know RFF's research jumped in, filled that void, and helped EPA and other federal partners respond. And now we're taking all of that and responding to the president's charge for revised social cost of greenhouse gas estimates. But to your point, uh, it goes beyond that. And it really does delve into the types of protective policies and regulations that we want to put in place for all communities, but especially those who have been disproportionately impacted. Uh, So again, 
too many Black and Latinx, Indigenous, or low-income communities have continued to suffer disproportionately, and it's going to be the strong, progressive economic tools and in-depth analyses that ensure that we protect all of our vulnerable populations, not just uh, against climate change, but also for the traditional pollutants that have plagued these communities for far too long. So we're, we're approaching uh, six months uh, since your confirmation as EPA administrator. I don't know if that's gone, uh, if that's felt really fast to you or uh, uh, I'm sure it has, but these are still early days, but what would you regard so far as EPA's biggest achievement today in your tenure at EPA? There are a few, I would say. We've, we've hit the ground running on, on climate change. The president set forward a very ambitious goal of looking at regulating emissions from light duty vehicles. Early this year, we started with reestablishing California's authority to enforce greenhouse gas standards so that states can lead. And then we recently announced a proposal to strengthen light duty standards weakened by the prior administration, uh, as well as plans to reduce other harmful air pollutants, along with greenhouse gas emissions from heavy-duty trucks. Uh, I mentioned earlier that next month, uh, the month of September, which is right around the corner, uh, per executive order, uh, the president's executive order, we will propose new strong standards to reduce methane emissions from new and existing oil and gas sectors. That's going to be something that has never been done uh, as aggressively as we plan to do it, and I'm counting that as a victory. With HFCs, uh, we set forth a rule to phase down HFCs in the U.S. by 85% over the next 15 years. That was proposed a couple of months ago, and we're looking forward to powering forward with that. And then, you know, as you and I just discussed, uh, we're taking a fresh look at our options for both regulating existing and new power plants. Uh, we've learned a lot from our previous actions, uh, and we plan to roll those into a very aggressive approach to look at how we regulate coal plants in the power sector. And then finally, I'd say that we announced the new Energy Star uh, standards to advance the efficiency of heat pump technology and fast charges for electric vehicles. Uh, and we're also committed to launching new and expanded partnership programs to accelerate emission reductions in homes and buildings. So we've hit the ground running in terms of voluntary programs and regulations, but we've also strengthened scientific integrity. Uh, shortly after I was confirmed, I sent a memo out to all EPA staff outlining our plans to review and update agency policies, processes, and practices uh, that were rolled back by the previous administration uh, that really undercut sound science. Um, and then in environmental justice, I've asked all of my senior staff to give me a full accounting of how environmental justice and equity fits within their respective programs from policies to regulations to contracts and procurement, we're starting to get feedback on that. And so, you know, whether it's regulations and policy or scientific integrity or environmental justice, I can say that the president has really set the bar and EPA is starting to deliver on many of those things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Of, that's a lot in a, a short period of time. The, any challenges or surprises along the way um, or lessons learned from the past six months? You know, the, the past six months have been very insightful. I will say that, um, you know, leadership really matters. And I'm very proud to serve for this president. And I will say uh, during the previous administration, uh, we saw an EPA that was really, really harmed uh, in a number of ways. And, you know, rebuilding the agency has been 
you know, a, a, a primary or priority for me because there were some steps lost on the previous administration. So that was surprising to see just how damaging the last four years were, not only to some of our policies, but to the morale here. So there's no doubt that we have some rebuilding to do internally at EPA. And that's especially true when it comes to our employee morale. So under my leadership, you know, I've pledged that the voices of career staff and EPA scientists and experts will be heard. Uh, And I understand during the previous administration, there were times where the workforce felt distant from the mission that first brought them to EPA. We want to revive that. Um, So we're going to live that mission. And I'm confident that we will revive uh, the agency to where it once was. Uh, so, so that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, but what isn't a surprise is how resilient the staff is here. And so while we're rebuilding morale, they are laser focused on how we move beyond targets and goal setting and really get into the implementation and, and execution. So I'm really excited to harness their energy uh, and continue to push the president's agenda. Uh, now, turning a, a bit to the future, what are what are your aspirations for your your time at EPA, and uh, you know what do you believe success looks like as as EPA administrator? You know, it's really about how we work to ensure that our communities see themselves in the future that we're building, uh, and how people see their lives improving because of the work that we do. So, I really want this agency to walk and chew gum at the same time. We have to focus on climate change and the impacts that we're seeing to public health and to our environment. But we also really wanna focus on some of those traditional air quality issues, water quality issues, uh, especially when we think about these complex issues around PFAS uh, and just our crumbling drinking water infrastructure and wastewater systems. So climate change, resiliency, infrastructure, good quality drinking water, uh, cleaning up our brownfields and our Superfund sites, and and doing all of this work in a way uh, where we're rebuilding our trust with our environmental justice and our tribal communities so that everyone knows we're using this opportunity as a rising tide uh, to protect all communities. And and that requires us visiting underserved communities, visiting our tribal partners, taking time to meet with these local leaders and communities and listening to their concerns. And that's what I've attempted to do in the first six months, traveling to all of these uh, different cities across the country. And I hope we can do that for the entire four years and really make a difference. One of the things that uh, just in reaction to what you just said, you know, the it is easy to get... um, very focused and very important to be focused on the climate challenge. But we, you know, EPA does have uh, many other environmental issues that uh, let's call them more traditional environmental issues of, of drinking water and, and uh, uh, brownfields and waste management and, and many other things. And so uh, your analogy to, you know, walking and chewing gum at the same time, there's a lot in EPA's portfolio, some very, very big challenges to focus on. But once again, thank you, Administrator Regan. Um, it's really been a true pleasure. Well, thank you, Richard, and thank you for your leadership. Thank you for RFF's leadership over the past four years, filling that gap and being a solid partner to EPA today. All of the things that we've discussed can't be accomplished without good, solid data, 
good sound science, very strong economics, and you all are providing that service as a great partner, and we're very proud of that partnership. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, and uh, have a great day, Administrator Regan, and thank you once again. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That was Richard Newell, President and CEO of Resources for the Future, in conversation with Michael Regan, the 16th Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. If you like what you heard, remember to like or favorite RFF's Policy Leadership Series podcast on your podcast platform of choice, where we will release new episodes with leading environmental and energy policy decision makers. You also can find recordings from our Policy Leadership Series events at rff.org pls and receive updates about RFF's events and podcasts at rff.org subscribe. The live event was produced by Hilary Alvarez, Sarah Tung, Donnie Peterson, and Justine Sullivan. Music is from Blue Dot Sessions. RFF podcasts are managed by me, Elizabeth Wasson, and made possible by you, our listeners. You can contribute to RFF today by visiting rff.org support. Thank you for joining us.